0: I'd also like to welcome you to Lakeside. We're glad that you're here with us. Today on this Palm Sunday, we're beginning a series entitled Atonement. This is the Sunday where Christians all over the world are remembering the, the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that final week of his life here on earth. He was received very well by the crowds. They, they honored him with the words that they said and the things that they did and the waving of palm branches and crying out Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word that's just a, a very, very short prayer and expression of phrase saying, Lord, save us or save us now. There's a sense of urgency to it. And so as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that uh, during that week, he was received by a crowd in a way that showed respect to him but there was also something quite humble in how he entered in that he made no fanfare about it he had no large entourage to sort of announce his presence but he entered into this city on a donkey in a very very humble way as had been actually predicted about him centuries before by the prophets of Israel that he would enter in a humble way in a in a lowly manner but for us the question is why is that significant because Jesus wasn't the only one who entered Jerusalem that week. He wasn't even the only person who died on a cross that week. So to really understand the significance of why we celebrate Christ and why we offer praises to him, it's not just to consider what it is that he did, but who it was that did it. Not just what it is that he did, but who really was it that did it. It's almost three years ago now, in July it'll be three years ago, when just about ten miles from here, um, it was the summer of 2012 and the political campaigns were uh, in full swing for another presidential election. And the current president, President Obama, was in town and he was staying at a hotel nearby and as he was heading towards another event, he uh, told his entourage that he wanted to stop and have breakfast at a local place called Ann's Place, just a couple of exits south of here. And the owner, just a, a huge admirer of him and could not believe that he would choose to make a stop and have breakfast at her place. And she was there. She was able to converse with them. And he took time and talked to everybody who was there that day. And she had had a variety of health issues in recent time. And then actually, in part, because of the excitement and just being overwhelmed that the president stopped at her place and had a meal, she passed away that later that day. Just was so excited that someone would come. And if you have to put in your mind, it, it didn't get announced too much because it was sort of a, a bittersweet story, but all of her friends said, you know, I mean, she just adored the guy. I mean, it, it was for her a good note to go out on to see the, what would be for her the most famous person she could ever meet. But then also whoever serves in that position usually represents one of the most powerful people on the face of the planet, the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief of our services. And you and I might all have different celebrities and different heroes, but could you imagine meeting in person the most, the person that you look up to the most, the most famous person that you could conceive of? I think if the Cavs joined us this morning for Palm Sunday, my son might faint. He'd just be like, are you serious? Are they here? Oh my goodness. But we all have somebody, and excuse me if you are 12 years old, but in the room, but for most of us, if we encounter someone that we really admire and look up to, we revert back to our 12-year-old self. And we're just like, we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to talk, and we don't know how to be in front of them. Because there's something intimidating about meeting someone and talking to someone that you admire, that you look up to and just really, really think of as significant and great. And the truth behind what we celebrate in Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter is is so centered on who the person is that did it. Because part of the problem, if you will, is imagine not just the president of a country wanting to address you and speak to you. Imagine if the God who made everything, created everyone, and knows everything, said, I want to come and visit you. And I want to, there's things I want to tell you. How would he do that without completely overwhelming us? right? If we can lose a sense of what's appropriate to say and how it's appropriate to act over another just human being coming that we think is significant, imagine the God of the universe saying, I'm going to come. There's things I want to say. There's things I want to do. How would he do that? And we even be able to tolerate it for a second. That's, that's actually one of the big questions around this time, and that's what the gospel's address. And so I invite you now to go to the gospel of John chapter 1 to see how this great and amazing God would come to us in such a way that we could actually handle it, we could endure it, we could pay attention and not be overwhelmed by it because of our own weaknesses or frailties. The gospel of John chapter 1. We get this amazing description of who it really was that came and that entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he, Jesus, has made him known. And that's where we'll stop. This statement by John that the word became flesh is saying to you and to me that in the person of Jesus, God became man. The word becoming flesh is just another way of saying that God, who always was, who made everything that is, became man. The maker of all things, who has all of the power at his disposal to do whatever he wants to do became like you and like me. In Genesis, we hear about us being made in God's image. In the person of Jesus, in the language of Philippians chapter 2, Jesus then was made in the likeness of us. He chose to take on our flesh to experience life like we experience it. And it's knowing that that makes all the difference in understanding then what it is that he did. Because like I said, he wasn't the only one that entered Jerusalem that day. He wasn't the only one who died on a cross a few days later. To really understand the significance of what he did, we have to understand who it is that came. And so John starts his gospel off by saying in the beginning. It's a, it, for, for all of his original audience that were familiar with Genesis 1 and remember in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's saying in the beginning. Yeah, that beginning. In the beginning the word was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he came among us so that when he entered in on a donkey in Jerusalem on that last week of his life That act of humility was not something unique. and Oh, well, it was humble because it was a donkey and it wasn't a horse. If it would have been a horse, it would have been humble. (laughs) If he would have had a mass army in front of him, it would have been humble. Because just to even come at all was an act of humility. Because he didn't have to come. He didn't have to experience life on this earth. You and I didn't get to choose the circumstances into which we were born. And you and I didn't get to choose if we wanted to be born. It's something that happened to us. And we were here. And by the time we had any say in the matter, we'd already been here for a while. But what John is saying about Jesus is that he was the word who was with the Father from all of eternity. What he's saying is he made a choice to be here. He's not just here because somebody else. He made a choice to experience what it was like to be a human being. And so he chose the very circumstances in which he was born. It wasn't an accident that he was born as a part of a family that was, if you will, in in a minority community in their day that had no political power in their day. It wasn't by accident that he experienced from everything we can tell most of his adult life with only his mom and no father present. He knew that all of those things would be true when he chose to come. And so then the question for us is, well, why would he choose to do that? But that's, it adds a completely different element to his story and to what it means for us when we really take into account that the whole of his life was an act of humility, that he would come at all. And so many of us still have the impression that what we're trying to do here on a Sunday is we're trying to figure out all the things that we need to do or know so that we could go to heaven. When as Christians, what we announce is that the the ruler and leader of heaven was willing to leave heaven to come here and be among us. Because whatever list we come up with, however many things we want to put on it, none of us lives purely consistently with even our own convictions or our own beliefs. We say we want to do this, but we struggle so many times, whatever it is, no matter how much variety there is of opinion, whether it's political opinion or how to handle finances, we could poll all of us and say, well, how should you do this? How should you do that? Here's the truth. Every one of us fails to live up to even what we say we think we should do. We struggle with it. We don't do it perfectly. But the good news that we celebrate, which is why we call this the gospel, is that it was, in fact, the willingness of God to leave heaven that makes all the difference in the world. His willingness to come and experience life on earth. And so the question of why, first we get in verses 1 through 4, who, and we get the question why, and the answer is for our salvation. If you look in verses 9 through 12, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so he came because there is something in us that his Created a barrier in our relationship with Him. The sort of the modernized version of the gospel is that just by being born, all of us are God's children, automatically in a good relationship with Him. And there's only a couple of things we could do that maybe would be offensive enough to challenge that and to get on His bad side. And the gospel writer says, No, no, no. All of us in our lives by being here have a, don't have the relationship with God that we should. We don't know him like we should. We, we're so quick to just create whatever ideas we want and that how we think he should be. And one of the biggest manifestations of that estrangement with God is our inability to relate with each other and love each other well. And when we look in the world, most of us could say, yeah, the world's not really as it should be. There is a lot of brokenness. There is a lot of pain. And the diagnosis of the Bible is that all of those things that we see is an evidence that there is something wrong in our relationship with God. And it it overflows in how we treat one another, and actually in how we mistreat one another, and the various problems that we see instead of saying to everyone that we're okay with God and nothing needs to be done, just, just don't mess it up, Jesus came because he said that even though we were made by him, we actually don't know him like we should. We don't relate to him like we should. And we don't serve and honor him like we should. And so the whole of his life and coming and being made flesh and then going into the cross and then rising from the dead, all of that is an act of atonement. For us, it's a it's a bringing back into one and back into harmony what has been separated. And th- that's what it means that He would make atonement for us, that He would bring us back to God, that that relationship could be restored, that we might be able to know Him. And that's the challenge that this presents to us. It, it, it immediately it shocks us or offends us to think that there might be a barrier between us. And the God who made us. But the Bible doesn't offer that diagnosis without also immediately telling us about what God was willing to do himself in order to remedy that. That he hasn't left us there. He hasn't said to us, well now good luck, even though you're ignorant of me and you don't know me, just try to figure it out and if you just try hard enough, maybe you'll be able to find me again. No, he's not playing hide and go seek with us. He's there just like he's is all the time. But we only recognize him and understand him when we're in a right relationship with him. So he was willing to become a man for our salvation, but he came in such a humble way that even some who still saw him and heard his message rejected him. And, that, and that's part of his own humility. When he is the maker of all, he has to humble himself in such a way that he doesn't overwhelm us by being present with us. But he also went to such great lengths to not manipulate us. Some of you might have friends who are just in a completely different category or class because of the amount of either political influence they have or the amount of money that they have you can think of like names that could just come into your mind even when you just think about the history of the country Of you hear the name and you think tremendous amounts of wealth or tremendous amounts of power well one of the realities if that happens to be your name is that you never know if people are really relating to you the way they're relating to you because of who you are or because of what you have right? and so this is like Welcome to the NFL 101 when they do rookie training or welcome to the NBA. They sit these guys down and they say, you're about to become the top 1% of income earners in the world. What that means is, you're going to have a lot more friends than you even knew had. You're going to have a lot more cousins than you ever knew you had. You're going to have a lot. I mean, people are just going to come out of the woodwork and say, don't you remember that we knew each other back in this day? And so the thing they tell them is, you have to know and discover who loved you and cared about you before you had all of that. They loved you for you. And those will be the people that you can trust even now that you have this incredible amount of power or wealth. Because there is something about when we think of someone and know them to be significant or powerful, we, it, it affects the way we relate to them. And so, part of what Christ was doing and coming and taking on flesh was to empty himself of any visible aspect of power or prestige. He emptied himself of that, of any visible signs of power or prestige. That if you would have looked at him when he was a baby, he just looked like a baby. When you would have looked at him as a teenager, he was just a teenager. And when he was walking around teaching as an adult, there, there was nothing in his dress, there was nothing in his vocabulary that intimidated people. He specifically went out of his way to not play the power card or to not make it visible exactly who he was in such a way as to not manipulate the responses of people. To say, I want to know if you'll follow me for me. I want to know if you'll listen to this teaching because you can discern in what I'm teaching and in what I'm saying the truth behind it. He could have very easily played the power card. He could have very easily intimidated people. But he specifically empties himself of all of those trinkets, if you will, so as to not manipulate people who then would only come after him because of what he owned as opposed to who he was. And it's hard for us to grasp our minds around that. What in a may that every single day of his life was an act of humility where he could have done much more. He could have said a lot more than he did except that there was this intentional desire to not manipulate, that people whom he created with the freedom to choose would in fact choose him freely. And so it says, there were some people that didn't. Some that were a part of the the covenant community of Israel in fact, in verse 13, verse 12 and 13, some of his own people did not receive him. In part because there was something just so incredibly ordinary about him. But it says to everyone who did receive him he gave the right to become children of God. And so he emptied himself of power and prestige, but he did not empty himself of grace and truth. John says he was full of grace and truth. And then that last verse in verse 18, we said, so no one has seen God, the only God, but he who is at the father's side, he has made him known. Jesus coming in the flesh, becoming a man for our salvation emptying himself of power and prestige, when we have questions about what God is like what God cares about what God would do in this situation or this situation we have only to look at Jesus in his life and the things that he said and we discover the very heart of the Father the one who made us I thought of that this week as there was just incredibly sad news out of Europe of 150 people who lost their life in seemingly a blink of an eye. And then as the, the news came out later and later, the story only got worse. And it's the type of news that whenever you get it, that one of the most natural questions is to say, well, where was God in all of this? And what would God say? if he was at the press conference. And people came to him. And then I remember that actually in the life of Jesus, somebody came up to Jesus once when he was talking and said, hey, there was a situation where someone, for whatever reason, decided to go after a bunch of people. And instead of just taking himself down, decided to take all of them down. It's in Luke chapter 13, if you want to turn there, on page 872. Luke chapter 13. Jesus is teaching, and someone comes up to him. It says there's a few people. There were some present at the very time who told him Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here, there's two specific instances. One where someone else out of maliciousness kills a bunch of people. And another that would just be described as an accident. A building construction project went wrong. A tower fell and people died. And as other people are just trying to make sense of it and figure out what Why did this happen to them? And why did this happen at all? Jesus gives this definitive answer. Don't for a moment blame them for it. Don't think, well, they got what they deserved. They're somehow any worse than anyone else. That's not how the world works. But we always look for a reason. But when we hear news of whether someone's suffering from a disease, whether someone's marriage is in trouble, whether someone's finances are in disarray, we look for all kinds of reasons. And here we have Jesus himself and his words are full of grace and truth. Grace to say, don't blame them. No, don't think they're any worse than anyone else. This is a broken world. And he doesn't induce guilt. He doesn't minimize the grief that they're experiencing. He doesn't provide any petty answers to it. But he also doesn't withhold hope. He doesn't withhold hope. He says to them, that answer that you're looking for, he he doesn't even provide a specific explanation, but he says anytime we see tragedy of any kind, whether it's through the maliciousness of other people, whether it's through the presence of disease, whether it's just through accidents or natural disasters. We all should be reminded in some way that life is frail, that none of us are going to live forever. And we need to have our relationship with God right. We need to repent. We need to be restored. We need to be brought back to him so that we have a hope that transcends the grave that is deeper than the grave, that no person like Pilate can take away and no accident like the tower can ever take away, and that that's exactly why he came. Because what God knows about all of the time is he knows about every situation in this world. We don't think about it because it's it's hard to hold on to the truth and still have a good day. But everyone who's not at church because they're working in a hospital right now knows the truth. They know that every single day someone's being born and someone's dying. They know that every single day someone is celebrating an amazing experience and someone is going through what they never thought they would have to deal with. And that's the truth that Jesus does not undermine in any way. And he doesn't downplay. It is the reality. It is the brokenness of our world. But it's also the very reason that he came to offer himself as an atonement, as the one who could restore our relationship so that the brokenness of this world would not be the end of our story. But that there is a hope and there is life and there is an experience outside of those realities that we can have in him. And that's what John tells us, that whenever we have questions about what God is like and what he cares about and what his priorities are, we can look to Jesus as God who became man for our salvation to make him known. So that what was said of those people, that they did not know him, does not have to be true about us. We really, really can know him. And if in knowing him, we desire to follow him, then we can become the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we celebrate in this time of year. Not just your humility in one instance to enter the city, but that in the whole of your life, when you could have, taken advantage of so many opportunities to show off your power or your prestige. You chose to make yourself accessible to us. You stepped down to our level so that we could understand you and that we could know you and that we could make an honest choice to follow you or not. And so I do pray for all of us here to just be confronted by that reality, both your truth and your grace, that you are available to each and every one of us and so we are without excuse. And Father, we pray that through your spirit you would work in our hearts so that we would choose wisely and that we would choose to thank you, to follow you, and to receive all that you intend to give us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.